So nighttime study, we just read our passage and started over to make sure this recorded correctly. So thank you for your patience. So, um, so we just read Joshua 22, one through five or so. And this basically sets up, um, if you remember, when the people of God were coming in to take over, two and a half tribes wanted their property. They had a lot of sheep or something. And they were like, look, this is perfect for our sheep. Can we just have this land that's what side east of the river okay so Moses said yes but you've got to help your brothers take over the promised land you can't just get off that easy and and part of it is there's a unity there of the whole people of God taking over the promised land as a whole and not just we're the tribe of Gad, we're the tribe of Manasseh. You know, it's like the United States of America instead of just Texas, although Texas could be its own country, I have to say. But, um, you know, it's just the sense of there's, there are different places, but we're one people, we're one nation. And so there's this, this kind of time that has come now under Joshua, those people did do what they said. They said, look, let us just build places for our little ones and our sheep, and then all our fighting men will come help. And they did. And so at this point in Joshua, it's done. It, there's, they've kind of done the job, and it's time to go home and for them to settle their tribe land. And so there's this kind of bittersweet departure. You know, you can imagine if you were maybe on a team and you went to the playoffs and it's over and you won and then you're like, well, this is sad now that, you know, football season's over or basketball season's over. We, we went through all this stuff together and there's this kind of bittersweet feeling of they're going back to the other side of the Jordan to settle their property. But they had fought and obeyed and now it's time to just settle the land. And what I love is he tells them to go back. Um, like I'm going to continue reading in verse 7. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Okay, so he's sending them back loaded, y'all. Loaded. And um, I think it's interesting, uh, Melissa Kruger brings this out if you do her homework, the extended homework. Think about these were children of slaves. They grew up in the desert. No one had taken them shopping. No one had said, here's your, you know, gold ring that your great-great-grandmother gave, is handed down to you. They did not have wealth. And they're going back in one generation. They have gone from desert living to you're coming back loaded down with silver and gold. And I love very much clothing for us women. <laughs> you know, the robes, the thing that Achan, you know, couldn't stand not to have, the gorgeous Babylonian outfit. I mean, it was over-the-top rich. And what a difference, what a change. And so they had done, they had been obedient, 
and they are returning with the spoils of obedience. Now, we see some of this in the New Testament. Um, James 1, 25, we too carry the spoils of obedience, but they look different. That doesn't mean we're going to have very much clothing. Okay, ladies? Does not mean that our closets are going to be full. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That there, there is a blessing associated with obedience. Um, Isaiah 48, 18 said, If only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And so we, there's a sense of, I don't want to say there's prosperity gospel that we hear about. If you obey, then God's going to give you a big bank account. That's not what we're saying. What I am saying, though, that when you obey, the way God has built obedience is that it brings blessings of obedience, uh, peace, security, safety, um, maybe just the ability to go to sleep at night. Um, Anyway, there, I think that's something for us to consider as we see them going back with the spoils of obedience. But like Melissa points out, just like they went from poor to rich in one generation, which is amazing, we too need to enjoy the wealth of just being a child of God. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses, but they're plentiful if you want to look this up on your own. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Ephesians 2, 7, Colossians 2, 2 through 3, Colossians 1, 29, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11, Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, and then James 2, 25, where uh, James says he chose the poor of the world to be rich in faith. Now, our riches do not look like the world's riches, but they do look like the things that come from faith, from believing God, from having the security in that relationship. So I want just to take that as a enjoy the wealth. Um, sometimes when I'm struggling, this is a trick. It's not in the Bible. This may be an OCD trick. I don't know what it is. But sometimes I go, like, I'm having a bad day, but but you know what? What if I did not have salvation? What if I did not have the peace that passes understanding, then my day would be really bad. And there's one thing that cannot be taken away from us, and that is that relationship that God has said that he will never forsake us. So the other thing we see right here in this kind of descending off of the two and a half tribes, they're they're rich, they're about to have rest from war, but Joshua gives them a reminder and we see him being very Moses-like in this. This is, sounds just like what Moses did before he died and sent them into the promised land to take it over. Joshua does the same thing in verse 5. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And what is it? To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. 
Okay, these words are really important. Can you imagine that last thing, if your child is going off to college, what's the last thing you say when they leave? Um, when I was little and we get out of the car to go to school, if my dad took us, he would always say, do all for the glory of God. It was, you hear the earnestness of what I want most for you, child, is this. And you hear that in this message to them. And we're going to see this next, and that's kind of why the tribes do what they do, is out of this, this wanting to be obedient to love God totally and putting Him first. And, and, and to cling to him. And so, again, I have to ask this room, wh- wh- what's your most important task? Is it to have the house the straightest it's ever going to be and the most beautiful it's going to be? Is it to, to climb the pinnacle of your workplace dreams? Is it for your children to all be perfect? I don't know what it is for you, I know what it is for me, and a lot of times it does not match this, this reading of what Joshua said. And so how do we do that? Do we study God's Word? I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're in Bible study. But um, do we really, really go, no, God's Word's really what I need to, to eat and drink today. Is that the most important thing? And are we living it out? And then do I cling to God when it is hard? Is that the first person I go to? is God himself through prayer, through the word, through even a friend going, I need, to, I need you to remind me of what God would say right now because I can't even read my Bible right now. I'm so overwhelmed. But um, the second point is based on this clinging to God, we see these Israelites have this, this strange story. And I, I'm so sorry, Ellie, if you listen to this, that you had to teach eight chapters or whatever it was last week. And I get this one chapter where there's a story. And it's kind of this weird story with a lot of irony in it. And um, it's kind of like a little short story in the Old Testament about this altar. And what is the deal? And um, so basically, we're not going to read it in verses 13 through 29. Somebody comes back to the big side all the tribes except for the two and a half on the east side the west side and says they built an altar over there like like not a tattletale but kind of like that you know like hey they got something going on over there we might need to check it out what is going on and what had happened is the two and a half tribes had built an altar it was not for worship but no one else knew that all they saw was this big old altar to kind of it was almost like it was like a statue. Uh, it probably looked kind of like a, an altar. To but it was built. They had they had built it. Um, we think on their side of the Jordan. But honestly, we could not figure that out from the text. So we need a we need a professor on this. But anyway, the point was though, the other tribes, the ten other tribes, were like what the heck is going on? This is bad. Now, we may go, it's a statue. What's the big deal? Why are you upset? Why are you almost going to civil war over an altar? And so, we need to do a little research of why. So, if you look at Deuteronomy 12, and I think I put this on the back of your handout so you could read along. What is the big deal? And this is from Deuteronomy 12, This is what Moses had told them about what they would do in the promised land. 
but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, and all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So part of the deal is there could be one place of worship. And so if they are building a second, like a, you know, off-site campus, you know, like a satellite campus worship center, that was going directly against what Moses had told them. And then the next thing they say, they, they come to the people. Thankfully, they don't go to war. They go to them with like representatives, 10 guys, including Phineas, the leader, and they go, this is bad because don't you remember Achan and the battle of Ai? And, and remember we studied this where one man took things against God's ways and the whole people suffered. Men died in battle. God was bad, was like, um, I'm your enemy based on one man doing wrong. So what in the world is God going to do if you're setting up an alternate worship center? The second story that is in their mind is something that happened in the wilderness. And you can read that in Numbers 25. Is that on the back of the handout? Okay. Um, So I'm not going to read it all. But basically what happened is, (laughs) this is another creepy Old Testament story (laughs) that I love. Um, Basically, the people of God, and this is how it happens. Usually there were some women involved. And the men were dancing and having a good time with the women. And it was kind of one of those things where the women taught them into worshiping their gods. And it is like Israel cheated on God with these false gods and made God really angry. And there was a plague and he said, go hang the leaders. It was a big deal. And Phineas, this other dude comes up and has the leader's sister or daughter or something and brings her in front of everybody. I mean, it was brazen. And Phineas, out of zeal for God, takes a spear and kills both of them. Now, you talk about a campfire story. These people had heard about Phineas, I guarantee you. And they're coming to this altar on the the east side of the Jordan going, what are y'all doing? Have you lost your minds? Do you know what God's going to do? Because they were convinced that this was bad news worship. And they get there and the eastern people go, the two and a half tribes go, no, 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 no. That is not what we're doing. This is what we're doing. We want to build this so y'all can see it. And remember, we're part of the people of God too. Just because we have this big old river in the middle of us doesn't mean that we're separate from y'all. We wanted to remind you there were one people. We're unified. So you got the West tribes, the 10 tribes, really, really, really zeal for God's worship to be like he said. You know, the Eastern tribes, the two and a half tribes going zeal for being unified as one people. And it's clashing, but it's because they're both doing the right thing. And that's why it's so ironic. So the result is there was no war. And Phineas says, 
good job. <laughs> it doesn't kill anybody with a spear because I know he was pretty scared. So this altar was called witness. That was the name of it. And I love that because it's going to be a witness to us even now for this zeal for the Lord. And it's exactly what Joshua told him to do, have zeal for God. So the East said, we don't want our kids and you're like, they knew that in the time of having just children through the years and generations that it could be forgotten. And they wanted something to make sure everybody remembered that just because the Jordan separated one, they were the same people. And then the passion of the West that they don't want anybody worshiping God in the way he did not say was okay because that would have hurt them too, even though they weren't doing it. Well, that begs the question, right? What are you passionate for? What do you, are, does this even get on our radar of passion? Um, and what does that even look like for us belonging to a church now? First of all, do we value unity that much that we would go to all the trouble of wanting to make sure everybody knows we are part of the people of God. And then do we value worship being how God said to worship, not just how we feel like it should be? Because those are the two major values that we are learning from this lesson. And what's interesting is the unity of God's people actually comes from the same passion for worship and to be part of the same people of God, that they follow the Lord the same way. And so I, that, that, that I, I had to have a commentator kind of draw that out for me. So I thought that was a little unusual way to think of it. I just have thought, you worship God the way he said, but that produces a unity because we're all gathered around that passion. And the fact that God, and Phineas says something also that I think is interesting. He says, in verse 31, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. I, th I just think it's really interesting that part of the way we know God is at work in that He protects us from our own sin. And you know how sometimes something great will happen and we'll say, oh, that's a God thing. Well, I want us to... It, I want us to stretch that meaning to mean God protected me from really messing up. That's a God thing. Because that's what Phineas is saying. This is a God thing <laughs> that we have not screwed up and have God against us. And that obviously that means God is present and is creating this unity. So what does this look like? I'll tell you one thing, um, in the email coming out on Friday, um, there's a blog, there are no insignificant Christians, there are no insignificant believers in our church, that sometimes just your mere presence, and I know this, just your presence here in this room today is giving to the church and is creating unity. And I love that. I want to encourage y'all in that because I know it's not always easy to get here. But there's a, there was a, something that came to mind when I was trying to think of what does this look like? What, what would be, what helps me understand this better? And I grew up in a small Mississippi town and went to an even smaller little school called Manchester Academy. And we were pretty good at football that year when I was around a junior or senior in high school. And 
We were playing Strider Academy, which was even a smaller town in Mississippi and a smaller school, but they were tough. And it was the biggest game of the season. And we had a really cool teacher and he, he got, he was like, you know, um, kind of helped with the coaching team. And he came up with this plan for the whole school on Friday that we played Strider. The only words that could be said in the school, except by the teachers. And now that I think about this, I think the teachers love this. The only thing a student could say that day was beat Strider. That was all you could say. You couldn't talk in the hallway. If you did, you had to say, beat Strider, beat Strider. That was all you could say that day at school. The signs, all the cheerleaders painted signs, they all said, beat Strider. Everywhere, in every color, any, I'm sure the cute fonts and all that stuff that you know cheerleaders do. That was all we could say that day at school. So you can imagine, and then the car line going to Strider with all the beat Strider painted on the car. I mean, my parents, my, my, we still talk about this game because of the unity around the passion to beat Strider. So how can we, especially for those in the room that go to Trinity, how can we, now we're not going to say beat, you know, we're not going to paint beat the Satan signs everywhere, and say, you know, we're not going to say beat the world, but, um, but the, the passion, the, the unique goal that, that drives us, that gives us friendship. I mean, it's kind of like wearing your TCU purple on Fridays. I didn't go to TCU, but dang it, if I don't think about it on Fridays, putting on my TCU purple, especially if I'm going somewhere that gives discounts. <laughs> so, and we see this kind of just this passion in the New Testament too. Think about how mad Jesus got in a righteous anger when the, the church, the, their version of church leaders had screwed up what the temple was to be used for and they were selling things in the temple court. That was the space the Gentiles could come. So because they had squeezed out the Gentiles because of their making a buck, Jesus was upset. His zeal for God's house made him kick them out. We also see Paul fussing at Peter because Peter gets all scared of people and starts going back on eat, how what you could eat and not eat as a believer. And Paul fusses at him in public. And we see this passion. And do we have that for God's word, for how he says to worship, to worship it all? So this book, Joshua, the primary first audience would be the next people in Judges who were a little bit down the road in time and had obviously fallen away from some of this zeal because they were described as doing what was right in their own eyes. They were not described as zealous for the Lord and unified around this passion for purity when it comes to the church people. So they needed this book, but we need it too, right? How do we respond to God's grace? And I want us to read Hebrews 10, which is in the back of your Bible. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Oh, it's on the back. Great. 
Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Okay, so therefore, like all this grace that we have gotten, how do we respond? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised it is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So just quickly, the therefore, what is your reaction to this grace Jesus has given you? And do you have a true heart? Do you do things the way God says are true? Or do you make it up for yourself? And then are you holding fast? Are you staying faithful? Because the people of Judges has stopped being faithful. And then it's not just about you. He says, consider one another. It's more than just you involved. I am not a TCU, TCU football player. But when I wear purple, I am a TCU person. And I'm, I'm right there, the same color as the, even a football player or a coach, even though I'm so insignificant when it comes to TCU football. <laughs> like I barely am there at the game. But, but I have this passion. I'm sharing in the passion for the team. So how do you share in the passion for your church? Do you show up? Do you see it just as you and God, or do you get a sense of the unity that you're a part of, and you work for that unity? And in your home, in your homework, you'll talk about how do you keep the vows of studying or working for the peace and purity of the church. So here, there are lessons here. Even though I'm not taking a spear to anybody and going through a man and woman like Phineas did, but there are lessons for us from this lesson. Let's pray. Lord, we see that you want us to have zeal and passion and purity and unity, but sometimes it's hard for us to understand how this works in today's church context. I pray that you would help us discuss this and, and wrestle with it. But at the, the top of the list, we pray that we would respond well to the gift you've given us, the grace you've given us, Lord, um, of salvation. And we Thank you for the riches that you give us to, with the obedience that Jesus has given us, Lord, and that we would be content with the riches of faith over the riches of the world. In Christ's name, amen.